So started TaskRabbit at the time it was called Run My Errand. Uh, Leah really Which is did. more direct. Way more <laughs> direct, but also very narrow. Yes. Um, so as soon as, you know, two years in, we had bootstrapped the whole process. Um, funny story, we actually used Leah's IBM pension to fund uh, the bootstrapping of From My Errand. Oh, okay. um, I would not recommend that in <laughs> any way, being in the position I am now. Uh, but it enabled us to do what we needed to do to get, to get Run My Errand off the ground. Um, that and some credit cards for sure. You've probably heard of TaskRabbit. The online service lets you pay a contractor to run an errand, clean an apartment, put together an IKEA bookshelf, any number of odd jobs. Before there was Uber or Airbnb, TaskRabbit birthed the so-called gig economy. You might not know that Kevin Buskey co-founded TaskRabbit with his wife Leah, who he is quick to admit was the brains behind the operation all along. In an unusual twist on the typical Silicon Valley story, Kevin and Leah were high school sweethearts, married right after college. They worked at the same company more than once, bootstrapped a business together, and eventually moved across the country to realize the Silicon Valley dream. Leah served as CEO of TaskRabbit for years and is now executive chairman. Kevin recently launched a new venture, Guideline, a 401k platform. Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I'm John Fort from CNBC. This is a weekly podcast bringing you the highest achievers from business, entertainment, philanthropy, and sport. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or Google Play. Once you've done that, share the wealth. Kevin Buskey's unique background as entrepreneur, spouse of a CEO, and CEO himself gives him a fresh perspective on how to make big ideas a reality. Here's Kevin Buskey. Really, the idea for, for Guideline came out of my previous startup, TaskRabbit, uh, which I was a co-founder of, uh, founded with my wife, Leah. Were you guys married at the time? We were married at the time. Yeah, we've been married a really long time, almost 15 years. Uh, wow. TaskRabbit's been around How old are for, you? How old? Uh, 38. Okay, so you married? Yeah. Married early, just out of college. Yep. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So we, were, we met in high school, full story. Uh, high school sweethearts went to separate schools. Uh, she went to uh, a college in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, Sweetbriar College, um, oh, who right. she's now on the board of. Sweetbriar is that yeah. a women-only college? It is a women's school. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah, yeah. couldn't follow her. I could not follow her. No, <laughs> no. My only option there was was VMI, uh, and I actually come from a military background, but I wasn't going to VMI. So, so where did you guys grow up? Uh, so I, I'm from a military family, so all over the place. But I call Boston my home. Um, so we grew up, or I grew up in a town called Lunenburg, uh, just outside of Boston, about an hour west. Um, small, small little town. We had a bigger high school. In fact, Leah's town, uh, she grew up in Shirley, didn't have its high school, didn't have its own high school, I should say. And uh, she ended up going to, to Lunenburg High School, um, and I met her my sophomore year wow. in, uh, in high school, yeah. I'm, I'm touched that I never yeah. heard this. It's like a, it's yeah. a love story that ends up in Silicon Valley, high school Yeah, it's, I can't it's think interesting, of too, like because even at TaskRabbit, we had employees that were there for months, and they had no idea we were married. Uh, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. We really just, like, segregated as far as roles. And, you know, Leah was in charge, and I was running some tech. Um, and it was just a very clear differentiation. Um, I, clearly, I was in the executive meetings and such, but... Um, having that ability to work together but also maintain sort of 
uh, separate capacities at the company was was really key for us. So you were yeah. saying that the idea actually yeah. came to yeah. you while Long way you were to get working to, with to yeah, TaskRabbit. Yeah, so we're going to keep touching on that. I'm okay. sure because <laughs> sure. it's just too good. Um, yeah, so at TaskRabbit early on as a founder, you do certain things like set a payroll. Um, and I was doing that at TaskRabbit while Leah was really running the company as, as a CEO. Um, so I took on all of those little tasks early on, and we moved to Silicon Valley in 2010 um, from Boston, from Charlestown, uh, where we actually founded TaskRabbit. So two years in, we started adding benefits. Um, and as we were growing, we had up to 65, 70 people. Um, but somewhere around 2012, we decided we were going to add 401k. Um, and we were starting to hire more senior people. They were looking for this benefit. 401k is the second most requested benefit uh, for small businesses next to healthcare, hmm. um, which is an interesting stat. Yeah. And uh, started adding uh, those benefits. We went with our payroll company at the time, uh, which was ADP. Um, and probably a year after that, um, in fact, one of the first times that Lee and I both got checks back uh, from 401k because we had over-contributed, uh, really started looking into why, why is that happening? Like We can't participate in the benefit. Um, looked at it, and really people weren't participating in the benefit at all. I think our participation rate was in the 30s. Low so 30s. you said you were getting checks back, and that's Yeah, so that's how it works. Yeah, you didn't have enough people yeah. in the company. Exactly. Even though people have been requesting it, not enough people were actually Exactly. So only about 32% at the time were actually participating in the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really started digging into why, and I was holding informal sessions, trying to understand people's um, you know, the logic behind the decision to not participate. Um, and it really wasn't, one of the, the first learnings and sort of the reason I really started Guideline, people wanted to do uh, their 401k savings plan. They wanted to invest, they just didn't know how. And it was really the broken pro- process. If you've ever signed up for 401k, there's an enrollment meeting, people come to your office, slide you a brochure, tell you to pick some stocks, some mutual funds, <laughs> On the right side, you got to pick a percentage, and hopefully it adds up to 100%. And that's your investment, essentially your thesis, and that's what you're going into. Um, people thought, you know what, that's great. I'm going to take this home. I'm going to research it. The truth is they never research it. They never start participating. They never enroll. Just kind of ended up on the table. It just ends up there. It's something up they the know they should be doing right. that they never get around to doing. So that was the first problem. And then the second problem was really about the plan. Like, why wasn't our provider guiding, um, at least me as the plan sponsor, hey, you have really low participation rate. That'd be a great thing to know as somebody that's running a small business. Hmm. Um, Just obvious things like that that could clearly be better. Um, So I started researching. I spent about two months trying to find a new plan, a new provider. Um, And really, there wasn't one that I thought would work well for TaskRabbit. they weren't, they weren't really focused on the younger generation, the people just starting out in their careers, educating them. Education is a big part of what we do, um, getting people to understand sort of an investment philosophy um, similar to modern portfolio theory uh, that we use, but getting them really engaged in saving for retirement. We know that they want to do it. They just don't know how. Um, so I wanted a plan that would... It was essentially structured for their success. So this is a big problem, though, Huge because problem. it's related yeah. to 
the problem with the number one thing, apparently, that people request, which is healthcare. Healthcare. And young people mm -hmm. aren't signing up for healthcare at the rate that a lot of other, you know, older people would like, which yeah. is why we have this right. ACA, Obamacare, AHCA problem of how yep. do you get young people to eat their vegetables and, yeah. and buy their healthcare, essentially. Yeah. So how do you? It's interesting. So healthcare, I'm not sure. Healthcare is extremely complicated. I, I do have a little bit of a background in healthcare. Um, I ran some large data centers for HIPAA compliance uh, for some previous startups. Um, but healthcare is a little bit, it's quite a bit different than what we're doing in the 401k But isn't side. it kind of how do you get people to take a hit now it for is. something that's going to be the good for The thing about later? healthcare, though, and what we see, at least the data that I've seen, is people stay on their plans, on their parents' plans longer. And that affects everybody throughout the ecosystem, right? The younger, healthier folks aren't signing up. So the, the older, more mature folks are paying more proportionally. So I think that is complicated. And really, people, it's not that um, they don't want health care. Of course, everybody wants to have health care. It's just a matter of can they afford it? Is the company offering a, a, an actual plan that is, is good for them? And you're saying retirement is different. Retirement's very similar to that. And right. the way that it's structured right now, and it's opposite of how a guideline is built, uh, but a legacy 401k product um, is really built around AUM. And AUM, AUM. assets under management. Oh, okay. So okay. all traditional financial institutions essentially charge on AUM, um, which is just a, a fancy way of saying they take a percentage of your assets. Um, so if you have $100,000 and they take 2% annually, they're, paying, you're, they're taking two grand uh, out, of, out of your retirement savings to offer you this retirement plan, um, <laughs> this be supposed benefit, right? So we completely flipped that model. So we're not AUM driven. We're a technology company. Um, our first product is 401k, but we're really a retirement platform. Um, what does that mean, though? Yeah, so what does it mean? <laughs> so 401k is just the you're gonna first. Uh, You're yeah. going to sell me a retirement house when I turn no, 60? No, absolutely not. We don't sell insurance either, <laughs> I promise. Uh, so 401k is our first investment vehicle. Um, we will be launching 403Bs in the near future mm -hmm. as well, and then IRAs uh, shortly after that. Um, and that's all part of sort of what we believe to be uh, components of successful retirement planning. There, there is a, a need for an IRA. There's a need for 403B. So if you take any sort of state funding, you can't actually participate in a 401k. So teachers and, and those types of participants. Uh, so that's really important for us. Um, and our core technology is really built around something called record keeping. And it took us about two and a half years to build it, um, to get it right, and then get to market. Um, but now that we're in market, um, and we own essentially the entire technology stack. We outsource only two components of it, which is completely different than a legacy 401k system. Uh, we outsource custodial services, which is just where your assets are actually held. Um, they also process our trades. And then we're clearly not a mutual fund company, uh, so we're not competing with Vanguard or BlackRock or Schwab. Um, so we, we purchase those on behalf of participants. But all of that, all the tech, really enables us to offer a benefit uh, to small businesses that is really inexpensive, but also super great for planned participants, um, their actual retirement success hmm. in the end. And we do it like a software company. We do it on a per-seat model. Uh, the only way that we make money is by the plan sponsor, the small business, pays us $8 per person per month uh, for active participants. It's very similar to Gmail or Slack account. Huh. So yep. does that mean that 
people end up keeping more of their money? Exactly. So it comes out to a typical scenario of somebody paying, you know, one and a half to two percent annually. With us, they pay only their mutual fund expense. So it's whatever fund they're in for Vanguard or Schwab, it can be down to 0.03 percent. Um, that's all they pay the participant on the participant side. Um, it comes out to two hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars difference in retirement, hmm. which is a huge amount of money uh, considering the average balance is somewhere in around sixty thousand dollars. So when did you and Leah start contributing to your retirement? Yeah, we both started contributing. So we were both at IBM. Um, IBM, really? IBM. So yeah, I worked for a company pretty much right out of uh, high school called Iris Associates, uh, which was founded by Ray Ozzie, the former CTO of, of Microsoft. Right. Uh, they built Lotus Domino brought in, in to notes. Be, yeah, yeah. Brought in to be like the the Bill Gates replacement in a yeah. sense, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so out of high school, you were working. Yeah, yeah. So company. I started as an intern uh, there doing uh, quality assurance uh, software. So your math um, grades were pretty good, is what you're telling me. My math grades? Yeah. No, my my wife is actually the math math wizard. <laughs> oh, really? I'm yeah. really on the data side and data security. So they brought me in to find vulnerabilities in Lotus Domino. In high school? Yeah, after just after high school. So my so, father. So what were you doing on the weekends? <laughs> yeah, so I started my first company in high school, uh, building high-end computers and selling them to like local colleges. Um, and those types. It was ra- around the time frame of uh, Gateway. Do mm-hmm. you remember those guys with the, yeah. the move? The cows. Yeah, yeah. the cow. Um, so right <laughs> around then, and I actually sold them to schools and then to graphic artists um, doing high-end you know, video computations and, and such like that. Because it didn't, that niche, it was, you could still make money back then. Uh, so I actually started that company when I was, I was a sophomore. Why'd you start a company? I mean, some kids will just do it. Yeah. Um, Other kids started company me, doing it. For me, I came from a military family. Mm-hmm. Uh, money was tight. Um, I knew if I wanted a car or anything like that, I had to do it on my own. So um, my father was in Army Intel uh, Intelligence, and we you know, lived in Germany and in Belgium and all these great places. Um, but really, for me, it's just a work ethic. I, I needed to sort of provide my own path. Um, so started uh, building computers with the help of my father and my uncle, um, James Richards uh, in Vermont started a company called Man and Machine, uh, which competed early on with the original Apple uh, huh. company. So computing technology in general um, has been an, you know, a core of my family for quite some time. Um, so that's why I started the company. It was really you know, out of necessity. Um, so I got an internship um, after, after high school while I was in college. Um, and I really just started that ball there, and it really morphed into network security and data security um, is sort of what I liked doing, so sort of white hat hacker stuff mm-hmm. um, back, in, back in the day. How'd you learn that? Um, trial and error, yeah. It's like originally I, I got introduced to, to Linux really early on, which is just a, an operating system used now for many different things, including like embedded devices. Um, and then I had a great mentor at IBM, uh, Matt Magri, who essentially taught me the ropes. Now, i got to go back to yeah. this married at 23 yeah, thing. Yeah. Because I personally was disappointed when I was not married at 26. Because <laughs> my goal was I wanted to be married by, yeah. by 20. But a lot of people tell me I'm nuts and that it should be against the law for kids to get married before they're 30. People say stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I personally think as soon yeah. as you found the one, go for it. Yeah. But at 23, 23. how are you guys? How are you guys getting married at 23? Yeah, so we had been together for quite some time. Right. At, at 23, um, 
you know, clearly had spent some time apart when she was in school and I was in school. Um, and you really, like, you either, for me, early, early relationships, you either grow together, get, grow together or you sort of become your own people and you continue on the same path. And that's sort of where Leah and I were. Um, so even, you know, after school, we still liked each other. Um, so got back together and we were both working at IBM at the time. Um, and, you know, you just fall in love and get married. That's the thing no, people, to do. That's the thing. People don't do that. People, yeah. People don't. Maybe I'm old school. I don't know. Yeah, it's cool to be old school, but I'm just yeah. delving into it. Yeah. So yeah. then um, after, let's see, in your mid-20s, yeah. you start TaskRabbit. Late 20s. Late 20s, you start yeah. TaskRabbit yep. in Massachusetts. Yep, in Charlestown, uh, which is a part of Boston, one mile square. And end up moving it and moving yes. to Silicon Valley. Yeah, so started TaskRabbit. At the time, it was called Run My Errand. Uh, Leah really which is did. more direct. <laughs> Way more direct, but also very narrow. Yes. Um, so as soon as, you know, two years in, we had bootstrapped the whole process. Um, funny story, we actually used Leah's IBM pension to fund uh, the bootstrapping of From My Errand. Wow, okay. um, I would not recommend that in <laughs> any way, being in the position I am now. Uh, but it enabled us to do what we needed to do to get, to get Run My Errand off the ground. Um, that and some credit cards for sure, hmm. um, which was you know interesting. So anyway, we started Run My Air and TaskRabbit in 2008. Uh, took uh, our first Leah came out and spent the summer um, of 2009, I believe, out here um, in an incubator called Facebook Fund. Mm. Uh, this is right when Facebook was getting going. Mm-hmm. Uh, run by a man uh, named Dave McClure. Um, spent six weeks in Palo Alto. Um, and then she came back from that trip and said, we need to move to California. And I said, you're crazy. Like, I need to pay the bills. I was still working, had like the, you know, the safe job. And she was full-time coding, creating uh, the Run My Iron platform. So you're working at IBM. Yeah, actually, at that point, I was working at uh, Systanet. Okay. Um, and then just after that, a company called Humedica, uh, which was bought by United Healthcare. Okay. Yep. So I was working there, paying the bills, uh, supporting Leah, my background, data, uh, server, infrastructure, all of that sort of stuff. So I set all that stuff up for Leah to code on. Leah's an engineer, uh, double degree in computer science and mathematics. Um, incredibly intelligent, and she, she got it off the ground, um, and we bootstrapped it for two years. Took our first investment money from Facebook Fund, um, and then soon after that, she met... Uh, somebody by the name of Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tim Ferriss introduced us to uh, Floodgate. At the, and that's, yeah, and that's podcasting that's, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, that's of, him. Yeah, yeah, the Tim Ferriss yeah. show. And, yeah, yeah, that's him. Uh-huh. Uh, he's an advisor for, for TaskRabbit and a good friend of Leah's. Um, and essentially, that was the funding path. And we took our first million dollars, rebranded Run My Errand, in 2010 and moved to Silicon Valley. Um, and you moved to Silicon Valley to do what? I did. So I quit my job, mm-hmm. um, moved to Silicon Valley. Consumer internet in Boston versus Silicon Valley are two different things. <laughs> um, it's much different. Yeah. Um, I can go into that later if you want. Uh, much different. Um, and San Francisco was just the right city to start something that was so new. We were the first ones doing this. This was before Uber, before Lyft. Um, the first ones doing what we call what we coined the service network. 
Um, I think it's still on Wikipedia or something like that. Okay. Now they call it the gig uh, economy. The economy, gig economy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were doing that first. Double-sided marketplace, extremely difficult uh, to get it right. Uh, but that's why we moved out here. We really just followed the money. This is where the investments were. Wanted to be close to investors. Also, you know, wanted to experience Silicon Valley. We were both in tech. Um, that's where the majority of, of folks that were um, of considerable talent in engineering, and you would go to a party and you could talk about engineering things um, as opposed to But how did you decide to completely give up safety? Because you had the one person in the safe yeah. job, one yeah. person out yep. doing the entrepreneurial yep. thing. Yep. And that kind of seems to make sense. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be totally traditional sense. kids and get married yeah. at 23, yeah, then exactly. you know, somebody should still have yeah. a pension that they're... Yeah, we're not... Right? We're, I wouldn't say that we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're somewhat risky, yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, but so at that you point, decided, right? We decided, you, jump you know in what? Yep, there were some changes feet. happening at Humedica that afforded me the opportunity to work out in out here. Um, I started working for another company called Shareable Inc., another healthcare company, mm-hmm. did like a digital pen. Um, and they let me work part-time and remote. Um, okay. So really, I could still pay the bills. And then once TaskRabbit became a little bit more mature, I started taking a paycheck. Um, that, that was, I think, just as Series B was coming around. So we were starting to ramp up employees and all that sort of stuff. And, at that time, so at that point, you know, you get twelve million bucks in the bank or something like that. I can't forget. I forget the number. Um, you can start t- drawing a salary, meager salary, but you can you can do it. <laughs> how did you guys figure out how to do that? Because yep, it's not like you were so young that you didn't know how crazy it was right. to start a business. Right, right. right? You yep. were in your late twenties. Yep, you had a career, yep. you were in Massachusetts. Yeah. This, was, this was taking a little yeah. bit more risk than a lot of founders take at that particular stage. Plus, you've got yeah. this whole marriage thing going. Yeah. Where one person is you know, spending time working on this thing and then coming back and saying, hey, we need to move across the country. Like, yeah. That's different. Yeah, Lee and I always talked about that. And for us, it was really never about the outcome and just always about the journey. And it was something that we were going to go and do together. And that's really all it was. That was the sort of um, the kicker, really. Like, yeah, let's, let's go do this. Um, if not now, when? We both were, were both incredibly ambitious people. Um, so I think that drives you to some extent. Um, the leadership thing mm-hmm. at TaskRabbit I also found fascinating because Leah wasn't always CEO. It's true. It hasn't always been. It's there true. There have been times in, yeah, times you've out. You've done your research. Right? Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> I've covered tech for a while, and so mm-hmm. I've just sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know Stacy from oh, great. when I, I lived out in the Valley. And so you, the whole advice that you get okay, now it's time to have one of these CEOs that we have yep. in a suit in the closet yeah. here step in. Yeah. And it's time. Yeah. But how did that. I mean, you had an interesting perspective on that because yep. you had been a part of this company yep. from the beginning, yep. supporting it in, yep. in some way yep. or other. Right. You knew it was your wife's yeah. baby, yeah. her project. Yeah. You knew how passionate she yeah. was about it. How did you view those leadership transitions and what they meant? Yeah, leadership transitions are tough. I'm not saying we didn't make any mistakes. We clearly have made mistakes al- along the way. Um, and I think for us, 
Leah and I very early on, even pre-funding, I don't have stock in TaskRabbit at all. I signed over all of my stock to Leah um, even before we did the seed investment. It was very clear that Leah was going to be the face of this company and she was going to make the, those hard, hard decisions and I was just going to be there to support her. And um, you signed over your stock because... Yeah. It's just, it's actually easier if you... Back then, there were not many uh, couple, you know, founding couples. Um, that can be messy. Um, I don't think there are many right there's now. There's probably not that many. Right? There's a few. There's yeah. a few. Um, but yeah, that can be messy. And we just wanted to make it as simple as possible. It's hard enough to raise money. You don't want to add to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so make it simple. Um, it wasn't really anything at that point. And we were married and had been married uh, for many years at that point. So it was no big deal for Almost me. Almost 10 years probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no big deal for me uh, to do that. And I think that was that was important. But back to like the leadership changes, my role there was really just to support Leah as best as I could. I wasn't in any of the fundraising meetings. I didn't get to be privy to those types of conversations. But for me, on a personal level, I do know um, at that point and at that scale, um, you always look around to see, like, is there somebody that can take this to the next level? And I think for us, you just realize that eventually nobody knows your business better than you, Hmm. um, even if they have a ton of experience. Um, And it's really not about... um, it's really not about insight or experience. It's really about perseverance and persistence. And Leah's extremely uh, persistent, um, and she can push things like nobody I've ever ever met. Um, and that's what it takes to be successful in startup. It's about hard work. Um, having a new product like a double-sided marketplace in the service industry with bidding and all this location stuff, nobody's done that before. Hmm. Um, so really, who's, who's going to do a better job than you? Um, and even the latest transition, now that Leah's the executive chairwoman, Stacy um, and Leah have an amazing relationship, but she was there for three and a half years before becoming CEO, and that, that was the right decision. That was the way to do it. Uh, there's a lot of conversation in the Valley right now around women in tech mm-hmm. and the culture mm-hmm. around women in tech. Mm-hmm. I think... And I'm not just asking guys about mm-hmm. this. Um, <laughs> we have Katie Jacob Stanton, who's been on the podcast, yep. uh, Sue Decker, and others. But you have a unique perspective yeah. uh, as the other half of a tech executive sure. who is on the front lines of this issue. You have seen it both as a tech worker and as an observer. Yeah, is Silicon Valley's problem with culture and dealing with gender unique? Or is it just that we have a problem as a culture and Silicon Valley, with all of its innovative sense, we expect more? That's a great question. I can tell you this. I saw more issues back east than I have seen firsthand in Silicon Valley. And I think that just comes from leadership quite honestly. Hmm. Like, Leah has been the CEO. Um, she's had COOs like Stacy. It all comes from the top down. Um, so I think it's much more visible in Silicon Valley, and there's clearly some bad actors out there that are super high profile. So it makes a lot of, uh, makes a lot of noise, and it's very loud. Um, but I actually saw more of it back east, um, at least firsthand, 
Um, so I wouldn't say that it's a it's just a Silicon Valley problem. It's clearly it's clearly not, um, but it is a lot more visible. And then to some extent, I don't know that we expect more out of Silicon Valley, but we expect things to just be done right. Um, across the board, and that's not a Silicon Valley versus East Coast thing. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I spent just over 13 years in Silicon Valley, and yeah. it's like they almost hand you a pamphlet, you know, when you enter Santa Clara County that says, you know, welcome to the meritocracy. Yeah. And there's this whole idea that no matter who you are or where you're from, if you're good, yeah. you're going to rise to the top. Yeah. I feel like that pamphlet, that idea, is being challenged now by some of the experiences that are that are coming to light, and yeah. that's kind of at the crux. You know, b- yeah. because Silicon Valley right. sort of promotes itself that way and hands that out. That's yep. why I, I think so many people expect. Well, it's okay. It's not supposed to be like this. Yeah, I think that's you know, cl- I, I believe that that's true. Um, I was just reading. It's something about awareness. I was just reading. Stacy just did an interview, I think, on CNN uh, on money. And I just got to catch the headline of it, but she said something to the akin of, of where I'm from, people don't know that they can lead tech companies. And that's true, mm. right? Like, that is so true. Um, it's un- unfortunate, but I do, you know, like, those people aren't getting the pamphlets uh, when, they, <laughs> when they come to Silicon Valley, right? So I think there's definitely an aspect of that. Um, I personally have been in organizations where you do very well, and you will rise to the top. So I think I, we've been lucky um, to have leadership like Stacy and, and Leah, and hopefully I'm doing the same in my org um, as a, as we as we grow. And we're you know 40 people or so um, to this point. You say you're looking to build guideline into a retirement yeah. platform. Yes. And so beyond 401k, 403b, you mentioned another... IRAs. IRAs, of course. Yep. What more do you have in mind? There's a lot in sort of post-retirement as well. And I think that's really interesting. It's it's on my, you know, Series A pitch deck. (laughs) Um, It's something to be said about tax efficiently uh, planning for post-retirement. How do you withdraw money in a tax-efficient manner? Um, do you pay off your house? Do you not pay off your house? All of that sort of stuff. Um, I get to experience that firsthand now with my parents um, and with Leah's parents who, who joined us out here, and it's incredibly expensive um, in Silicon Valley. And I can see that the struggles that they're having as far as uh, they've had folks help them to get to a point where they can retire, but how do you actually retire successfully? Retiring in Silicon Valley has got to be tough. Yeah, it's super. It's super difficult. And you know, do you have you? Is your estate in order? Um, all of that sort of stuff. You know, do you have the right plan? Are you? Do you have your will? Um, you know, if you have IRAs, like, what does it mean to pass one off, to pass one off um, at the end of life? So that's what I mean by retirement. It's retirement and post retirement. Mm. What are the biggest mistakes that you've made or seen made starting a business? Um, great question. Um, we're super early at guidelines, so I'm going to 
it sounds arrogant, but we haven't made a ton yet. <laughs> <laughs> or if you have, you haven't. One of the things that I did learn, fan, though, right? <laughs> and, and really just about being in Silicon Valley, there is a sense of, you know, go fast and break things. Um, you don't do that with people's retirements. Mm. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. do that with retirement accounts. So some of the mentality of just growth, 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 and users, users, users um, doesn't apply to guideline. It's about experience. It's about compliance. Uh, we're an SEC-regulated uh, invest, uh, registered investment advisor. So um, my first hire was actually an attorney who's now our chief compliance officer. Um, getting that passed on your pitch deck is crazy. There are <laughs> there are some companies whose names start with Zen yeah. that haven't necessarily learned that lesson so well. Right, right. And I think that's just, you know, they were first. And I can't say that, I mean, it's clearly I learned from their lessons too. Mm. Um, you have to do the right thing when you're in sort of a heavily regulated industry like we are. Yeah. Um, looking back, what are some of the smartest things mm-hmm. that you guys did, either yep. intentionally or unintentionally? Yep. yep. Infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Um, build that base. Build it right. Um, get it so that it can scale. Um, and, and spend the time and the money to do that. Now and when, I think, you, when you say infrastructure, yeah. from a technology yeah. executive perspective, you mean what? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, make core technology decisions. Um, spend the money if you have to early um, so that you're not patching things as you go and putting out fires constantly. Um, if you can't do that, it's not. It's really like, are you building the right business, for me anyway? Um, I truly believe you've got to start at the bottom and build your way up into something really unique. Um, for us, the decision was to be a record keeper. Um, we knew that there were other companies out there trying to just do the front side of, of 401k, meaning the, the enrollment or the sign-up process. That's not where innovation happens. Um, it happens when you can start at the bottom and build a unique stack, um, build your own technology so you're not outsourcing it to all of these legacy players that tack on AUM fees. Um, that enabled us to get to 0%. Um, AUM fee for a participant, nobody can do that because they have to pay all their vendors. So now we have a huge advantage. Um, We can do the right thing even with the new fiduciary rule coming down. We're already set up for that. We already do and take on the 338 liability for fiduciary. Um, Even yesterday I saw Empower said they will not be a fiduciary if the Department of Labor rule comes down. Um, And I think that's just a mistake. Um, So because we focused on our core technology, it enables us to do the right thing later on. And get personal with me for a mm-hmm. moment. You've got two founder CEOs in your household. Yes, right? we do. Uh, which has got to be challenging, yep. right? Because when, you know, eventually you get home, yep. <laughs> both yep. of you, yeah. and you want to talk about work, you've got yep. like whole companies to talk about, and plus you've got this household at the same time. How do you manage it? It's interesting. At TaskRabbit, it was actually much easier because we're both talking about the same company. We're talking about the same thing, the same problems, the same leadership or personnel problems. Um, But we're on the same wavelength, right? Mm. We commute together. We go home together. We have dinner together. We don't work together because we're very segregated in our function. Um, But we were on the same wavelength, just cruising along. Uh, when I decided to depart TaskRabbit and go build Guideline, we definitely started you know, altering our wavelengths and missing um, having those normal marital issues like communication challenges. 
Um, so those are a struggle. And to be honest, we're still working that out. Um, now that Leah is, is home more, being the chief executive, um, she's taken up a lot of sort of things that she really wants, is really passionate about, like being on the board of Sweetbriar mm. um, and helping other young companies. So she's an advisor to numerous startups, and we've started doing a little bit on the investing side. That's why um, I misstated. She's executive chairwoman now. Executive chairwoman. Yes. Yep, yep, exactly. So she's not involved in the day-to-day. She, mm. Stacy's doing a phenomenal job with that. Um, so she has a little bit more time, and we have two young children now. Um, so, you know, ages? add those into the mix. Ages, how old? Uh, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a seven-month-old. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, I, I've got a <laughs> six- and eight-year-old, so yep. roughly same distance apart. Yep. Yeah. I feel your joy. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's uh, we've been we've been blessed for sure. The seven-month-old is uh, just fat and happy, and you feed him, and he's he's psyched. Um, and the three-year-old has is full of energy and questioning everything. And um, we think clearly biased. She's incredibly intelligent, but we got her in a Montessori school, and she's focused, and we got her on the right track. Well, wow. yeah. So a lot going on. A lot going on. Um, you know, raising businesses, raising kids, communicating yep. between the two of you. Uh, and you've been married for quite a while now. Almost 15 years. Almost 15 years. Yeah. Impressive. Yes. Uh, yep. Insight into, um, I guess I can't ask you what's different going through this being married because that's the only way it's that the only, you've only thing done it. Know. Yeah. Um, but has it felt different? being in a place, um, Silicon Valley, where so many founders do things in a different sequence? It has. We've always been slightly ahead of our time, right? Like being married at 23, there's not a lot of married couples you're hanging out with at 23 years old. Right. Um, For sure. You know, being somewhat successful early on in our career, we had a little bit more money. Um, So we were doing different things and going on vacations and you know, that wasn't with our 23-year-old friends who had a ton of college debt. Um, so we've always been, and that's, you know, for Leah and I, um, we've always been aware of that and, and been a, a little bit ahead of the game. And we, you know, find balance with each other, I think, more than, I think it's probably helped us uh, more than hurt us uh, to be pretty tight. Uh, we had a, a running joke. We'd always go to these parties, and we'd just end up talking to each other, um, <laughs> which was really funny because they're both somewhat introverted. Um, Leah's definitely become more of an extrovert these days, just being forced into doing all these media. And I'm there now, and this is something I have to do. But it, you know, I don't find my strength uh, from from doing uh, media and all that sort of thing. And I, I love this being a podcast because nobody can see me. Um, <laughs> Got a camera running over there too. Yeah, but yeah. I promise, I promise, yeah. <laughs> you said nobody. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, you know, we've been a little bit ahead of the game, but now we waited so long to have have children because uh, focus on task credit. Everybody's cotton up, so yeah, now yeah, we have like yeah. we have friends who have kids <laughs> our same age. So it's all you know, it's come full circle. What's the one thing? Um, last question that you think is the biggest challenge preventing people from being smarter about the way they invest for the future. So yeah. uh, I guess more of a semi-philosophical question about the problem that you'll continue hammering away at yep. in the way you kind of pursue your product yep. every time. So clearly education is a focus for us, but beyond education, there's things that you can do and things that we do at Guideline um, just to streamline the experience. For instance, our fund menu. 
There's not a single fund in our fund menu that's not appropriate for retirement. Okay. Right? So you can't make a bad decision. Uh, that's the first one, right? So limit the option. Make sure they're already approved. We have our own in-house investment committee that goes through all the funds, and they do it quarterly. Um, make sure that they're the lowest expenses out there and have great track records and low turnover and all those sorts of things. Uh, so you can't make a bad decision even if you go in and you want to full cu fully customize your portfolio. Um, you really can't pick a bad fund. So you can do things like that. Um, there's other things that we do that most people don't even notice. Um, if you log into your guideline 401k, you do not see a daily performance up and down percentage. <laughs> you see a week one. Uh, so over the week, you're up this amount of percentage or down this amount of percentage. And we do that because you should be thinking about retirement in the long term. A week may be even too granular. Um, and we, we have data uh, pointing at it. Maybe we do it monthly. Um, I think a week is, is right for us right now because um, we have a lot of eager young folks in there checking on it. Um, but really, you can dictate the behavior um, for people and get them used to an investment philosophy. So matter, no matter where they go, they're starting to look at things like expense ratios, um, 12B fees, 12B uh, fees, um, wrapped fees. Like those things, the fiduciary rule helps a ton. Uh, so it's, it's bubbling up now, and we're not in charge of all of the education. We're just trying to do our part. All right. Yeah. Well, Kevin. I uh, look forward to checking it out. Um, Great. Even though I'm on one of those big company, yep. you know, big company plans, it's, yep. it's good to see yep. the innovation that's out there. My thanks to Kevin Buskey. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. And please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. Also, check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube. I'm taking your comments and questions usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Next on the podcast, Nicole Egan is CEO of Darktrace, a cybersecurity startup. We talk about how she got her foot in the door working for Oracle, bounced back from the dot-com crash, and how she manages to have something close to gender parity at her tech company. Go ahead and subscribe to Fort Knox now on your iPhone's podcast app or on Google Play. Meanwhile, please share this, tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or fortnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. <laughs>